So we are continuing our Christmas series. It's called Tidings of Truth. Tidings of Truth. The purpose of the, the series is we're looking at famous Christmas hymns, talking about why the author wrote that song and what are its the, what's the theological significance of that song. Today we're looking at the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come in power this morning. Uh, that you administer to every life, every person that's here live, every person that's watching online. You, you know the needs. There are so many, <clears throat> so many health needs this morning, Lord, so many emotional needs, financial needs. Lord, you are the, the supplier and provider of all of our needs. And so, Holy Spirit, this morning, we look to you and pray for comfort and grace to be poured out upon the church. Pray, Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to understand the truth of Scripture today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Christmas is clearly a celebration, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year. And I mean, when else during the year do we throw a few Christmas lights on the outside of our house? I mean, like we, we never do that. When do, we, when do we decorate a tree inside of our house? Heck, when do we ever have a tree inside of our living room anyway? When else during the year do we sing the same songs for a whole month? Never. And when during the year do we, do we bake cookies and make chocolate or make uh, candy and give gifts to people that we don't even like? When, when else during the year do we do that? And Christmas is a Christian celebration. We can't underscore that enough. It's a Christian celebration. And yet most people in our culture celebrate Christmas, whether they're religious or not. Charles Wesley wrote the song, Hark! the herald angels sing. Charles Wesley was the brother of John Wesley. The Wesley brothers founded the Methodist denomination, the Methodist movement. Charles Wesley was the most prolific hymn writer in history. He wrote over uh, 6,500 hymns. Think about that, 6,500 hymns. All of those weren't published. There are some people that believe that it was closer to 9,000. One person said uh, Wesley averaged writing. He was a poet and a teacher and a theologian and a hymn writer. One person said he averaged writing 10 poetic lines a day for 50 years. Uh, can you imagine the amount of time poured into uh, writing that poetry? Some of, the, some of the great hymns of Charles Wesley, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Christ the Lord is risen today. Come thou long expected Jesus. And can it be that I should gain? And this one, hark the herald angels sing. Charles Wesley on Christmas morning, uh, 1739, got inspired as he walked to church that Christmas morning. As Wesley walked to church and heard the church bells Ringing. It was as though he was taken back to that very first Christmas morning in Bethlehem. And he remembered the scripture in Luke chapter 2, uh, where, where it said, uh, uh, There appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, uh, glorifying God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. As, as Wesley walked to church and he heard the church bells ringing, he imagined what it was like 
to hear the angels give that first announcement of the birth of Christ. And as he was inspired thinking about this, this heavenly chorus, as he thought about that, he, he realized um, that he needed to write something to capture heaven's joy over Christ's birth. And so he wrote the lines to hark the herald angel sing. Now, the first line, we're going to throw it up here, uh, doesn't read like the one we sing today. This was Wesley's shot at the first line. It says, hark how all the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings. Hark how all the welkin rings. Welkin is a kind of an archaic English word that simply means skies or heavens. Hark means behold. What he's saying is behold how all of heaven rejoices. Remember, he's walking to church, hearing church bells ringing. And he says, how all of heaven rings with this, this celebration of the birth of Christ. And he said, glory to the king of kings. Now, George Whitfield, 14 years later, Whitfield was a revivalist and a personal friend of both John and Charles Wesley. Uh, Whitfield changed the words. He didn't like the words, the first part of that verse. So he, he changed the words to what we sing today. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Well, it was kind of typical in those days for lyrics to get changed. And there wasn't too much frustration with it from those who penned it or wrote it. But in this case, Wesley got really mad at Whitfield because he said Whitfield's theology wasn't as good as his. And so he was frustrated because he said, you're, you're king of kings, not newborn king. Anyways, it stuck. People later said to Wesley, you know what, dude? Like, if we went back to singing about Welkin, no one would sing it. Because <laughs> that's just, that's just a, a clunky word. We, we like the new version uh, better. So, so uh, 1753, Whitfield changes the words to, to what we sing today. Fast forward about 100 years. Now we're in 1840. Felix Mendelssohn, famous German composer, uh, contemporary of Mozart and Beethoven, was asked to write a cantata for the 400-year anniversary of the, the invention, Gutenberg's invention, the printing press. And so he agrees to do that. Now, remember, the printing press was, was a huge benefit to Christians because now the Bible, which wasn't in common people's hands, the Bible would be printed and distributed all throughout the land. So everyone could really have their own Bible. So Mendelssohn agrees to write this music composition for the celebration, 400-year anniversary of Gutenberg's printing press. Now, fast forward 16 years to 1856, and a man named William Cummings comes along, and he marries Wesley's words with Mendelssohn's music. And it was brilliant. The, 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 the syncopation, the, 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 the rhythm and everything went perfectly together with, with Wesley's words. Now, think about the irony of this. Wesley writes about Jesus, the living word, Christ became flesh, the word of God became flesh and lived among us, John chapter one. Mendelssohn wrote this song about the written word of God now available to people through the printing press, the written word of God becoming flesh and living among us. It was a marriage made in heaven between those two songs. Wesley, when he wrote this song, it was, it was essentially an invitation. Remember the, the inspiration, walking to church on Christmas morning and thinking about the celebration of heaven on the, on the, because of the birth of Christ. And so Wesley now invites the church, 
He invites all of us to join in the heavenly chorus, to join in the song of the angels in celebrating the birth of Christ. Here's the the first part of that, that verse. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. And here's the punchline, God and sinners reconciled. That's the whole point of Christmas. God was coming into the, into the world in the form of a human in order to save humanity and reconcile them to God. God and sinners reconciled. Then he said, then here's the invitation. Joyful all ye nations rise. And we're going to rise this morning. Stand up with me if you would. Okay, way boring. Sit down again. Come on. That, seriously, j- joyful all ye nations rise. Come on, joyfully stand up this morning and read this with me. <clears throat> joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with the angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing in that this morning. So it's an invitation to, with the angelic host, to proclaim that Christ is born in Bethlehem. Wesley wants us to understand in this song, why were the angels celebrating? Why were they rejoicing on that very first Christmas morning? So I'm going to talk about why Christmas is a celebration. The first thing is Christmas is a celebration of the humanity of Jesus. Wesley's song indicates that, that Christmas is a celebration of the humanity of Jesus. Here's that, that, that verse in the song. Veiled or clothed in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. In, incarnate incarnation just means in the flesh. God now appears in human form. Hail the incarnate deity, God. Pleased as man, pleased to be human, with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Wesley marvels at the incarnation of God, Jesus Christ, God becoming a man. He would respond and say, what what amazing love, what what incredible love that, that Jesus would humble himself and become human. In Wesley's perspective, the king became a servant. The shepherd became a sheep. The creator became part of his creation. See, Emmanuel not only means God with us in a spatial sense. Emmanuel means God with us or God like us. In other words, Emmanuel means God has come not only to be present with us, but God has come to be exactly like us. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14, 15, and 17 say this. Therefore, since the children, humanity, share in the flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus likewise, also partook of flesh and blood, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things, in every way, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God in order to make propitiation or atonement or appropriate sacrifice for the sins of the people. 
to save us from sin, Jesus had to become like us in every way. He had to become human to become the perfect sacrifice for humanity. So what does that mean that God stepped into flesh and blood? What does it mean that that God became a human? Well, the first thing we need to understand is the Old Testament concept of God. What, What do we learn about God from the Old Testament? The first thing is God can't be contained by time or space. God is eternal. He lives outside of the realm of time. And God is spirit. He lives outside of the realm of space. David said this in 2 Chronicles 2.6. David said, in term, as he was thinking about building a temple for God, who can really build him a worthy home? Not even the highest heavens can contain him. So who am I to consider building a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices? There's no physical building that can contain God. In fact, the universe, the created world cannot contain God. God is bigger than the creation that he made. So God can't be contained by time and space, but God, who is not limited by time and space, limited himself by squeezing into a human embryo. This is a human embryo about four weeks old. A four-week-old human embryo is about one one-hundredth of an inch. The God of the universe squeezed into a human embryo, one one hundredth of an inch. What was it like for God to become flesh, to squeeze into that tiny human person? God, who can't be contained by any physical thing, chose to be contained in the uterus of a teenager for nine months. What was that like? God, who supplies food for all of his creation, chose to be fed by the nutrients that flowed from a woman's umbilical cord. The one who provided nourishment and food for all of creation now chooses to humble himself and receive his nutrients from a woman. God, who could have come into the world in royal procession as a king, with with great fanfare, instead came silently through a three to six inch birth canal, experiencing the trauma of birth. He came silently and he came humbly. God who is dependent on no one to exist, chose to depend on human parents to feed him, change him, protect him and comfort him. What was it like for God to become a human? God is the source, scripture tells us, of all life. He holds everything together by the word of his his power, yet he chose to nurse at the breast of his mother who became his source of life. The source of life humbled himself and received life from a woman. God, who created the process of puberty, went through it himself. Isn't that interesting? God went through puberty in his life. Parents, you know the challenge of that with your kids, what that can be like. To redeem us, Jesus had to humble himself and become like us. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Jesus, not only we celebrate Christmas because of the humanity of Jesus, but also the supremacy of Jesus. Let's read this part of the the song. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. 
Philippians chapter 2. Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him, lifted him up to the highest place in the universe and gave him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in reverence in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his song, Wesley uses titles for God found in the Bible to describe the credentials of Jesus to save humanity. He uses a number in this song. The first is Prince of Peace, found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Prince of Peace. Jesus is heaven's ambassador of peace to the world. He's the, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the only one with the authority representing heaven to offer peace to humanity. There, there is no peace apart from Christ. And, and, and this peace can only be, be accepted on God's terms. God brings Jesus into the world to broker peace with humanity. But it's not peace based on what we think we should do. It, it's not peace based on our actions or our desires or our works. It's based on faith alone in Jesus Christ. The terms of peace that Jesus brought were believing in Christ, believing that he's the son of God, believing that he was sinless, believing that he was born of a virgin, believing that he died on a cross, believing that he did that as God, as the Messiah, so that he could take away your sin. Peace with God is determined by us accepting the Prince of Peace, the ruler of peace, Jesus Christ. Have you accepted Christ, the Prince of Peace? He uses another title for God in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, the, the Son of Righteousness. This Messiah would be perfectly righteous. He would be blameless. He would be without sin. The only way that the Messiah could be without sin was through the virgin birth. He bypassed the sinful line of Adam's blood. He was, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit in Mary, the woman. He was not born with original sin. Only Jesus Christ could be perfectly righteous. And remember, it took a perfectly righteous human to die for a sinful human. The only sinless sacrifice for sin ever born into the world was Jesus Christ. See, you, you and I, could, we could never die for our own sins because no matter what sacrifice we made, we have sin in our lives. It's not a pure sacrifice. So you can work, you can try to earn your salvation, you can try to somehow offer God a sacrifice that's acceptable to him, but you are sinful. Your hands are dirty and God will not accept that sacrifice. It's on the terms of God, this peace treaty. He sent his son into the world to become a man born of a virgin, sinless, lived a sinless life, died a criminal's death on the cross to take our sin upon himself. The son of righteousness was the only pure sacrifice that God would have accepted. He never would have accepted ours. Light and life to all he brings. Jesus is the light of the world. John chapter nine, verse five, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. What does light represent? Light represents revelation. Insight, understanding. Jesus brings to us an understanding of who God is, the only true understanding. Anyone else can have their idea about who God is and what he did. Only Jesus brings the truth. 
So everything Jesus did and everything Jesus taught was true. And Jesus taught that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to the Father was through Jesus. That's truth. Jesus revealed he was the perfect representation of God. Everything he did in life showed us what God was like. Light and life to all he brings. The light of the world came in to existence. Have you accepted the truth that Christ brings concerning God? And then it says he's the life, light and life. John 14, 6, uh, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, the source of life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only source of spiritual life is Jesus Christ. Think about the essentials for us to live physically. You can't go more than a few minutes without oxygen or you die. You, you can't go more than a few days without water or you die physically. And you can't go more than a few weeks without food or you die. Those are essentials. That, that, those are sources of life that we cannot go without physically or we will die. And you cannot have spiritual life without Jesus Christ. In him was life and that life was the light of men. John chapter one tells us without Jesus, we have no spiritual life. Life and light to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Have you been spiritually healed by surrendering your life to Christ, the source of life? The, the third reason we celebrate Christmas is because of the destiny of Jesus. The destiny of Jesus. Let's look at that song again. Mild he lays his glory by. That, that's a reference to Philippians chapter two, where it says Jesus, he, he humbled himself and laid aside his divine privilege. He was God, but he laid the privilege of being God aside and became a man. He lived a life not by his own divine power, but simply by trusting in the Father and living by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we live. So Jesus came and became a person to live like we live, to show us that we can live in obedience to God under the power of the Holy Spirit. Born, so he lays his, his deity aside and becomes flesh, doesn't lose his deity, but he lays aside the privilege of being God. Born, here's the purpose, that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us resurrection to eternal life, to give us resurrection that we can live with God forever. That's the purpose, the mission, the destiny of Jesus was to die so that we could be born again, which is the last verse, born to give them second birth. Say second birth. What was the purpose of Christ? What was the celebration of the angels as they, as they uh, announced the, the, the birth of Jesus on that Christmas morning? It was certainly to celebrate the possibility of second birth, spiritual birth in our lives. The destiny of Jesus was to reconcile sinners to God. That's why heaven rejoiced at his birth. What is second birth? Second birth is spiritual birth. It comes after natural birth. See, everyone is born of the flesh, but not everyone is born of the spirit. Everyone seated here, if you're breathing, you were born physically. You are alive physically, but that doesn't mean that everyone seated here is alive spiritually. Did you know that you can be alive and dead at the same time? You can be alive, spiritual, alive physically and dead spiritually, and many people are. And, and that was Wesley's story. Why new birth? Why second birth? Why the analogy of birth to talk about salvation, to talk about uh, conversion? Because birth signifies new life. 
It signifies a new existence and a new beginning. And that's exactly what Wesley experienced. Listen to this summary of, of his coming to know Christ. That and that is this conversation that, that John and Charles Wesley were having about what it means to be converted to Christ. What does that really mean? That question turned out to be a pivotal question in both of their lives. Charles Wesley dove more deeply into the scriptures for his own spiritual nourishment rather than using Bible reading as a discipline or a means by which he could earn God's favor. It was after reading Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians that Charles's eyes were open to the truth of justification by faith. Justification by faith, the word justified means to be, to be made right with God, to be accepted by God, just as if you'd never sinned. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Not justification by good works, not justification by human effort, not justification by being born into a certain family or of a certain ethnic group but purely on having belief and faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, Wesley had an awakening. Wesley had a conversion experience. Wesley had a second birth when he realized that he could only be born again by, by trusting in Jesus for his salvation. It says, at last, he had found the doorway to peace with God. Two days after his conversion, Charles Wesley wrote his first hymn, celebrating the joy that filled his heart. Through the influence of evangelist George Whitfield, John Wesley also found peace with God just a few days later through faith in Christ alone. The zealous evangelistic brothers had been delivered from religion and were finally saved. Wesley experienced new birth at the age of 31 years old. I'll tell you the significance of that in a moment. One year later, he wrote this song. One year later, he wrote Hark the herald angels sing, and began to celebrate the second birth because this was fresh in his heart. Charles understood the, the dramatic change of suddenly moving from death to life, suddenly being alive spiritually. Now, before this conversion experience at 31 years old, uh, Charles had been to, to Bible college. He'd been to Oxford. He had a master's degree. They had started the Methodist movement he had taught the scriptures. He had gone on mission trips from England to America and still wasn't saved. Isn't that amazing? His salvation was salvation from religion to relationship with God in his life. He was religious, but not saved. He was educated and was serving God, but not born again, not born of the spirit. So he writes this song, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Wesley's just writing his story. He's writing about his testimony of finding second birth through Christ. And this, like Wesley, is what we do. We grow up in church. We take the classes we go to first baptism, we go to confirmation, we, we learn about the Bible, we're around Christian people, we're faithful and did all of those things and still maybe not saved. People all the time come to Central having grown up in the church and never realizing that they need to be born of the spirit, born again, entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ in order to have life spiritually. 
Wesley spent about 12 years of his life in ministry, he and John both, without having personally known the Savior. They had to die to religion in order to surrender their hearts to Christ in faith. Wesley wants us to celebrate the humanity of Jesus in this song, the supremacy of Jesus, and the destiny of Jesus. He wants us to join the heavenly chorus to participate in it, right? Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. It's an invitation to join the heavenly chorus.